0: I think you'd want to send your children in a snowsuit <laughs> through the winter months. And we appreciate in advance your flexibility as we make these adjustments. Thank you for doing that. Before I get to the message today, I want to, uh, to ask you to stop with me and to pray for one of our ladies. Her name is Renee. Uh, she uh, gave birth to her first child a t- couple of days ago. The child is doing well. The baby's doing well. But she is fighting for her life this morning. The mother is fighting for her life this morning. And we want to pray for her husband, Mike, and pray for both of their families and ask the Lord to help them. Would you bow your head together with me and let's pray for her. Father, we do stop and think of Renee today. And Lord, we uh, ask, Lord, for you to intervene in her life. Lord, she needs a miracle. And Lord, we know that miracles are what you do. And we would ask you for that. We pray for her husband, Mike. Lord, we love it when they're here in the services and so thankful when they are a part of church. Lord, right now, they need us to be a part of their lives in ways that, that demonstrate that we love them and that we're, we care for them and that we're concerned for them. Thank, for, thank you for the beautiful baby. Born a few weeks early, um, doing well. We're very thankful for that. Lord, uh, today, Renee needs your touch. And I pray, Lord God, that you will help the doctors, the nurses, the ICU staff. Lord, I know Mike's heart, his family, her family's hearts are are heavy today. They can't be with her. They can't be at the hospital with her. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them. Please, oh God, help Renee this day. Lord, we think as well of many others who are battling illness. We think of our own president and many of his staff that are battling illness. We think of across this country and across the world, those that are battling with COVID-19. And Lord, we we pray uh, that you would bring healing to each of their bodies. Lord, we've lost enough people uh, to this pandemic, and we pray for healing now to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll find your place in your Bible with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 we're going to begin reading in verse 23 and we're going to read down through verse 34 and then I'll just tell you in advance we're going to come back to those verses at least some of them and going to read them again in a few minutes but I want to read through uh, the biblical text that we're considering today 1 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning in verse 23 For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you drink uh, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till he comes therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. If you didn't recognize it already, let me just tell you that at the close of this message today, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. We're going to be having communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. If you know Christ as your Savior, then we invite you to be a part of this very special observance. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are connecting with something that is 2,000 years old. For the last 2,000 years, the church has been observing the Lord's Supper, been having communion. All the way back to when Jesus first instituted it in the upper room, Just before his crucifixion. And he told his disciples and all of us by way of them that we're to do this in remembrance of him. But you know, sometimes through the course of this pandemic, I have been a little bit concerned about our observance of the Lord's table. And the reason is because the way we have to do our services, the way we had to change the distribution of the elements and so forth, sometimes it has felt to me like the Lord's Supper or communion was an addendum the service. In other words, you know, the real meaty part of the service was what went before it, and then we just sort of tacked on to the end the observance of the Lord's Supper or communion. We didn't intend for it to feel that way. We didn't intend for it to be that way. But sometimes, to me, that's how it felt. And I thought it would be necessary today for us to stop for a few minutes before we participate and for me to bring a message to you about the significance of the Lord's Supper. And to make sure that we understand that we are not to come to this observance at any time, at any time, we're not supposed to come to this observance in an unworthy manner. As a matter of fact, he says that twice, once in verse 27 and again in verse 29, in an unworthy manner. Actually, the phrase unworthy manner is a translation of a single Greek word. And that word is an adverb. He's not talking about the character of the people who are coming. He's talking about the conduct of the people who are participating. They are, in some fashion, coming to the observance of communion and the Lord's Supper with conduct in a manner that is unworthy of this observance. It doesn't show the right, rightful respect and honor which this observance deserves. And I never, ever, ever want us as a church to ever treat this aspect as something that's purely ceremonial or something that's purely ritualistic and something that's just a tack on or add on or an addendum at the end of a church service. So let's talk about how we are supposed to approach the Lord's Supper. I'm going to be a little bit academic in doing this, and I hope I won't bore you by doing so, but I want to take you into this text and I want to show you what Uh, the Apostle Paul has to say, is the worthy manner in which we are to come and partake of this meal. First of all, we, we should approach the Lord's Supper corporately. We should approach the Lord's Supper corporately. Something I want you to notice, all the way back to verse 17 of that same chapter, we didn't read verse 17, but I want you to go back through for just a moment, and I want you to notice two words that are repeated five times through this text. In verse 17, he says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you, and hear the words, come together. He says it again in verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as the church. He says it again in verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place. He says it in verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat. He says it in verse 34. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together. And actually, you find that word that's translated here as come together two more times in 1 Corinthians. You find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he's talking about the use of spiritual gifts. Now, what is the significance of saying five times when you come together? He is reminding us that the Lord's Supper is not supposed to be a private observance shared in the quietness of obscurity. This is not supposed to be just a family observance in your own home privately where nobody else is watching. Now there are exceptions, and I'm not saying it's always wrong for a family to do that, that there's never a right time for a family to do that. Neither am I saying that there aren't occasions, as we do as a church, go to a shut-in's home and share the Lord's Supper with them because they cannot come to us. But what he's telling us is that the primary way in which the Lord's Supper is supposed to be observed is as a communal meal, when we come together as the church, when we come together as the body of Christ. In other words, what you're doing today in coming together is exactly what they did in the early New Testament church for the observance of this supper. When you think about the church... I've heard some really strange things over the last few months about the church. For instance, I've heard someone say, or several people say, the church is not a building, we are the church. Well, that's exactly right. But it's not wrong for people to gather together in a building to worship God. And actually, that's the way the church has met over the past 2,000 years. They have met on the temple grounds. They have met in lecture halls. They met in people's homes, believers' homes. Uh, It's not until the early 200s to middle 200s A.D. that we find the first, archaeologically, find the first church, the building that was dedicated just for that singular purpose, the gathering of the church. And then after the Roman emperor Constantine legalized Christianity, then church buildings, like we're talking about normally, began to spring up in a lot of places, and they're found in a lot of places. But while we are the church, the church has always been a people that gathered. Now, you don't have to have a building like this. You can do it out in a field somewhere. You can do it under a tent. You can do it in a storefront. You can do it in a house. But the church has always been a body of people that gathered together. And when they come together, part of what they did was they observed the Lord's Supper. When you come together, when you come together, when you come together, he says, over and over, he drives at home because we need each other. And especially at a moment of, obs- of, 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 of observing the Lord's Supper, it's a moment for us to recognize we are sharing not only with the Lord, but we are sharing with one another. A second thing that I've heard some people say through the last few months of this pandemic, and it goes something like this, we don't have to go to church. We should just be the church. Well, if you mean by that, I'm always baffled by what you mean by be the church. But if you mean by that, that the church should be on mission with Christ, evangelizing the lost everywhere they go, I'm 100% in agreement with you. But if you mean that it isn't necessary for the church to have regular meetings where Christians, and hear the words, are expected to attend, then I strongly disagree. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You realize when you say that the church doesn't have to assemble, that we are the church and we just go be the church If you're talking about being on mission with Christ, I'm in total agreement with you. But that doesn't negate the responsibility and the importance of the gathering together of the believers. Just think about the word church itself. The the Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia. It means a called out body, a called out, hear the word, a called out assembly. People that are called out from where they are for the purpose of assembling themselves together. Even when you say the word church, you're indicating that they ought to come together. 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 together. Over and over, Paul says it. They ought to come together. The New Testament knows nothing. It knows nothing, nil, nada, of individual Christians isolated from other Christians trying to be the church. When we leave here, we want to be the church on mission with God, reaching those who desperately need to hear the gospel message. But that doesn't negate the responsibility of us coming together. As a matter of fact, we expect those who are believers in Jesus to gather together consistently and regularly, to come together at weekly times for worship. In the first century, it was a house many times. But that didn't mean it was something that uh, people didn't know. They didn't just show up and start having church. It would have been sort of like saying, you know, we're going to meet at Mary's house next week. She's got a big house. We're going to meet at Mary's house next week. And the following week, we're going to meet at Philip's house. And that's where the church is going to gather. The week after that, we're meeting at Timothy's house. And that's where we're going to gather. Not till the middle 200s did they have their own separate places because the numbers were growing. But they nevertheless met together. We should sacrifice whatever it takes to consistently participate in a local church and in the observance of the Lord's Supper with other believers. Secondly, we should approach the Lord's Supper lovingly. We should approach the Lord's Supper lovingly. The church in Corinth preceded the observance of the Lord's Supper with a communal meal. And that wasn't too uncommon. Even in the pagan temples, they would often have these communal meals before they would have their services, before they would have their meetings. So that's not all that unusual. Uh, maybe uh, we could just say that the Corinthian church would have been a good Baptist church. They, they were the originals having potluck dinners. And the purpose was that everybody would bring what they could to this communal meal. Why? Because they're supposed to be showing their commitment and their unity and their love for one another. But this had turned into an absolute fiasco. Look back with me for a few moments uh, to verse 18 of chapter 11. He says, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, what you're doing doesn't represent the Lord's Supper at all. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. In other words, when we come together for the Lord's Supper, if there was ever a moment for us to put aside our differences and to reconcile ourselves with one another, this is the moment for us to do it. This is the moment for us to demonstrate that we are one in Jesus Christ. And at the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. And that God is not a respecter of persons. And you didn't come to Jesus because you were more special than somebody else that came to Jesus. In the observance of the Lord's Supper, we are being reminded that we are all a part of the family of God. Those who have believed in Jesus are all a part of the family of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, not because of anything we did or anything we have. In the Lord's Supper, the time of communion is the time for us to come lovingly, to connect with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I would even say that not only does this text teach us that we offend the Lord when we come in an unworthy manner, But he says here that we offend one another when we come in this divisive way. Look back again to verse 27. At the end of verse 27, he says, If you come in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty. Now notice the phrase, of the body and blood of the Lord. Now some of your translations may not have the word blood there because the Greek text it's based on doesn't have it. But in the majority of the Greek manuscripts, it uses the body and blood that's important. At the end of verse 29, he says, Not discerning the Lord's body, he leaves out the blood. Some scholars suggest that anytime Paul uses the phrase body and blood together, he's referring to the first century historical Jesus. If you do it in an unworthy manner, you're offending Jesus himself. But anytime he uses the phrase the Lord's body, Without the phrase, these scholars say, he is talking about the body of Christ, the church. In other words, the Corinthians were partaking unworthily because they weren't showing respect to Christ's sacrifice or his church, and they weren't showing respect to each other because they were treating each other preferentially. Some were going away full. You've been to those potluck dinners. You know, you watch the people at the front of the line sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and their plate comes away and they can hardly keep the plate from folding. They have so much food on it. And Mary and I have always made it our tradition at any of these kind of dinners, at our church gatherings, that we always go the very last. To make sure everybody ahead of us gets as much as they would like to be able to have. And we'll take the leftovers. Because we know that some people are going to gouge themselves and gorge themselves. And others are going to go without. That's the opposite of what ought to be taking place within the body of Christ. And that's certainly the opposite of what ought to be taking place at the observance of the Lord's Supper. Communion is a time to resolve our differences and humble ourselves so we come together in unity and peace. You can't come to this meal in a fashion that shows respect to the Lord if you're holding on to something, some ill will toward another brother or sister in Christ. Number three, we should approach the Lord's Supper thoughtfully. We should approach the Lord's Supper thoughtfully. You notice twice, verses 24 and 25, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Twice he says it. The memorial meal, this Lord's Supper, takes us back to the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary that makes our salvation possible. Think about this. All around our nation, there are monuments and memorials where we go to remember, right? Right? Here in just a month or so, uh, we will be uh, thinking about those who were killed in 1970 on that plane flying into the Tri-State Airport. And there's a memorial fountain on the college campus, and there's a memorial out at the cemetery. And those memorials are to remind us, they are to cause us to stop and to think about and never forget things and people that have impacted our community or even our country things that must not be forgotten. When we come to the memorial meal, this Lord's Supper, this communion meal, it's it's to cause us to come thoughtfully, to cause us to think and to remember. Remember what? We remember his beatings, those stripes that were laid on his back, that laid bare his back, the mockery of the crowds and the soldiers when they put the Blindfold over his eyes and they slapped him in the face and they said, prophesy, who was it that hit you? It's to remind us of the crown of thorns that was placed on his head or his marred visage as they pulled his, his beard from his face. It's to remind us of the cruel crucifixion that he had to endure and to hear those nails as they're driven into his hands, into his feet. is to remind us of the gambling for that seamless garment It's to remind us of that one centurion who said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's to remind us that the one who died on that cross rose again, and because he's alive today, he saves any and all who come to him. You realize when we come to this meal today, it's not just about coming corporately and coming lovingly. It's about coming thoughtfully. It's about for us holding in our hands this juice that represents his blood, in this bread that represents his body, and remembering the price that he paid for us to have eternal life. You know, one of our great faults in life is our failure to remember. You have trouble remembering. We got up this morning, last week we were off and we were in a distant city. We were watching the service, by the way, but we were in a distant city, Mary and I, we were in a distant city together. And this morning we got up and Mary said, what was the weather like last week on Sunday? I said, where were we last Sunday? (laughs) I don't remember where we were last Sunday. The words I said to her, that's been too long ago. I can't remember. We have a real problem, don't we, remembering. We lose our perspective on life because we can't remember. But do you understand that when we come to the Lord's Supper and to communion, it's a time for thoughtfulness. It's a time for us to engage our minds. This isn't just about stirring your emotions. This is about engaging your mind and causing you to think about the sacrifice of Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment traveling in the wilderness. It could be a dense jungle. Or it could be 150 or 200 years ago through the tall prairie grass of the Midwest. And imagine for a moment that uh, the trees and the grass are so tall that you can't see where you're headed, let alone see where you've been. So you become disoriented without these landmarks on the horizon. So what do you do? You climb up to the top of a tree or you find a hill and get up on top of that hill. Or maybe you stand up, if it's 150, 200 years ago, you find up, stand up on your covered wagon And and you gain a perspective, a fresh perspective, so that you can look back and you can see where you have been and you can look forward and you can see where you need to go. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about us climbing up on that mountain, Mount Calvary, and looking back and seeing what it cost to redeem our souls and looking forward to where he wants to take us. It's to give us that fresh perspective. It's a thoughtful observance. We don't check our minds out at this moment. We engage our minds at this moment so that we can remember. And we understand that we're going to have to do this because we know we have the trouble with memory. We have to do this what? Again and again and again and again and again. Number four, we we should approach the Lord's Supper reverently. Reverently. Paul says that those who come to the Lord's Supper unworthily, or in an unworthy manner are showing disrespect, not to just the other believers, but they're showing disrespect to the Lord himself as well. Disrespect to Christ himself. Maybe this is a name you'll recognize, at least some of you that like to read theology. His name is Dr. Simon Kistemacher. Sort of a unique name, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Kistemacher was a long-time New Testament professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He went to heaven back in 2017. But commenting on this passage of scripture that we're studying today, he writes something very interesting. He uses an illustration that I know you're going to get, especially in our our, our present context of what's going on in our own culture. He writes, The words unworthily and guilty, that's the words in verse twenty seven, in an unworthy manner will be guilty. The words unworthily and guilty are juxtaposed in the Greek. And explain each other as a contemporary illustration helps us understand. And here's the illustration. A person who burns the flag of his native country testifies that he has no respect for his homeland. Granted that a flag is a mere piece of cloth. We nevertheless know that it's a symbol of a nation. Disrespect for a flag is understood as contempt for the country it represents. He continues... Likewise, partaking unworthily of the communion elements signifies sacrilege. Persons who profane the bread and the cup of the Lord offend the Lord himself. In other words, when we come to the observance of the Lord's table, it's not that there shouldn't be joy. It's not that there shouldn't be celebration. It's not that there shouldn't be rejoicing. But it is that our attitudes and our actions should reflect the fact that we are coming into the very presence of the Almighty God Himself. I wish I had time to take you back to chapter 10, but just turn back there for a moment. I'm not going to read all of it to you. Paul is answering a question in chapter 10 about whether it is acceptable to go to pagan temples and eat the meals because you know that the pagan gods are false gods and not true gods. Paul says something in the midst of answering that question, which, by the way, his answer is no, it is not appropriate to do that. But in the midst of answering that question, listen to what he says, verse 16. The cup of blessing, that's that's communion, which we bless. Is it not the, here it is, koinonia, sharing in, partnering in, communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the koinonia, the communion, the partnering in, the sharing of the body of Christ? In other words, do you hear what he says? He's going to go on and make this point. When you go to that temple, though those gods, those temple gods are false, they're not true gods, nevertheless, you are coming into participation with, you are coming into a sharing with the demons that are behind those false idols. And so he says, look, you shouldn't be going to those temples and eating those meals because when you come to the Lord's table, something very similar happens. You come into communion, not just with the rest of the body of Christ. You come into communion with the Lord himself, with the Lord himself. I'm told that there's a painting of the Vietnam Wall that's in Washington, D.C. that depicts a young widow and her daughter standing at the wall. And they're reaching up and they're touching the name of there, her husband, that little girl's father who died. What's interesting is that the reflection in the polished granite is not of the mother and daughter, but of the husband and father who was reaching out his hand to touch theirs. May I just say that's a good illustration of what's happening today? As we reach out to touch the Lord through This observance of communion, the Lord is reaching out to touch us in return. That's why we call it communion. We're communing with each other and we're communing with the God of heaven. There's a special sense, a unique sense in which we are connecting with God and God is connecting with us. And therefore we come reverently into his presence. We should approach corporately and lovingly and thoughtfully and reverently. We should approach the Lord's Supper humbly. You notice what he says, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He means a man should look at his own life and see where there's things that need to be made right before he comes to the supper and he participates. Now that's a humbling experience, isn't it? It's humbling to acknowledge that I have broken relationships with other believers in Christ that needs to be repaired. That's a humbling matter because it's going to require you humbling yourself before those believers and saying, I am sorry that I have been at odds with you or the things I have said about you. It's a humbling matter to look within or to allow Christ to examine you within and find the unconfessed sin that is there. And to have to bow your head before the Lord and say, oh God, I have broken fellowship with you. Not relationship. I have broken fellowship with you over these sins that I have so grievously committed. I excused them and I made excuses for them and passed them by and made light of them. But Lord, I know they offend you. And Lord, I come before you and I humble myself in your presence I humble myself in your presence. And you understand, if you don't come humbly acknowledging that there are relationships that have got to be corrected and fellowship with God that has to be renewed, if you don't come in that fashion, do you realize that you're eating something in this, in this participation that is detrimental to yourself? Look at it, verse 30. We read it a few minutes ago, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. For this reason, many are weak, Why? Because they came unworthily. They didn't show respect and reverence, coming humbly, examining themselves when it came to observing the Lord, the Lord's Supper. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. What does he say? Because you've come in this fashion, not humbly, but arrogantly, proudly, refusing to acknowledge the broken relationships and the broken fellowship with me. You're eating and drinking to yourself chastisement, not condemnation. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, but we eat and drink to ourselves chastisement discipline in our lives because we don't humbly come into our presence into, into his presence I should say you know what keeps people from reconciling with each other what keeps people from renewing fellowship with God it's a little word that's spelled like this P-R-I-D-E when we come to the Lord's Supper we approach it humbly humbly And then finally, we should approach the Lord's Supper gratefully. We should approach the Lord's Supper gratefully. I'm going to use a word in just a moment that I never use in reference to the Lord's Supper or to communion. I could use it, but I don't use this word because of its association with a denomination that practices this observance with unbiblical overtones. And consequently, its attachment to that denomination keeps me from using this particular word. But it's a good word. Nothing wrong with the word. The word is Eucharist. We never call the Lord's table, we never call communion the Eucharist because it has some unbiblical connotations that come from another church tradition. But the word Eucharist is a good word. You find that word in verse 24. It's what underlies the words given thanks. And when he had given thanks, that's what the word Eucharist means. Eucharist teo. It's what it means to give thanks, to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, or to give thanks to God. In other words, when we come to the Lord's table, we're coming to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for who you are to me. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that I enjoy because I know your son, Jesus. I have believed in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that I have a home reserved for me in heaven. Thank you that I have a Bible that guides my life, how I live, a biblical worldview that comes out of this book. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit lives within me and goes with me. Thank you that he fills me and empowers me and enables me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Because we ought to come to the Lord's Supper gratefully, saying, Lord, thank you for all you've done. This is a time to rejoice in Him and to give Him the praise He deserves. This is not an addendum at the end of the service, a ritual or a routine, a ceremony you just got to get over, but it's not really the major part of the service. This is the heart of the service. We're coming to hold in our hands these implements that represent the body and blood, they don't become the body and blood. There's not the body and blood that goes in or with or along the, with, with these implements. These, these implements represent his body and his blood. They're symbolic. But don't you ever forget that when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're reaching out and he's reaching out to you and You're entering into a special time of communion with the God of heaven and you don't ever do that lightly. You don't ever do that callously or inconsiderately. We should approach the Lord's Supper corporately. We should approach it lovingly and thoughtfully. We should approach it reverently and humbly. We should approach it gratefully. And So I invite you If you know Christ as your Savior, you don't have to be a member of this church to take the implements that are there in front of you, the elements that are there in front of you, and to hold them in your hand. Before we participate, I want you to take a moment, I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to prepare your heart to meet with God. If there's some relationship that's broken that you're going to have to make right, you tell the Lord when you leave this place, you're going to make it right with that brother or sister in Christ. And if your fellowship is broken because of some unconfessed sin, this is the time to make it right with God right now. Heavenly Father, we still our minds and our hearts. We stop worrying about whatever else has to go on the rest of this day. And we focus our attention on your sacrifice on Calvary. Lord, there may be somebody who's watching this service, somebody who's sitting in this service that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I pray, Lord, today that they will understand that by believing in Jesus... Believing that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin, was buried and rose again, and gives eternal life. That by believing in Jesus, they could become a part of the family of God today, this moment. There's no church tradition to go through. There's no ritual that has to be performed. They simply have to believe on Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody listening to my voice today who has not yet believed on Jesus Christ, I pray that now is the moment when they will believe. Maybe they'll express it to you through a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, that you were buried and rose again, and that you live today. I believe you're the Savior, and I come to you, and I ask you to save me. But Lord, may they believe today. And now Lord for all of us who are believers we come to hold in our hand our hands the elements of the Lord's supper or Lord, we repre- we recognize that they represent your body and your blood that was shed for us. And Lord, we come corporately and lovingly and thoughtfully and reverently and humbly and gratefully to participate together in this holy observance today for it's in your name that we pray amen if you'll peel back the clear plastic and take out the bread just hold it for a moment if you will and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me You'll pull back that next tab to get to the juice. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you'll hold on to that cup until you leave and put it in the trash can, please don't put it back in the pew rack in front of you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And then we're going to go out.
1: On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The end of suffering and shame. And I love... cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so i'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down and I'll cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown.
0: And all God's people said, Aren't we thankful? to be a part of the family of God, saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. As Section A is making their way out the door, I want to say thank you for your flexibility. We're not making any changes between now and the end of October. But come November 1st, we're making some changes. We appreciate your flexibility.